0: what's up everybody it's joe lapuma you were listening you were watching the complex sneakers podcast as always i'm with my two guys to my right mr matt welty here we are he's here we'll get to the shoes later your eyes aren't mistaking you we'll get to them later to my left bright as ever hello Oof. undiested mr brendan dunn hello how we doing i feel great it's gonna be a fun week Yep. a lot happening a lot happening i'm in travel gear if you notice why are you about to leave yeah Came back out of
1: here. Came back last night. Came back from what? Another Can, big shoe. Yeah,
0: a good one. A okay. good one. Some okay. shoe dogs. Some some NBA history shit. Okay. Cursing in the first fifteen seconds. <laughs> Why not? Seconds. Don't demonetize us. We're here. <laughs> Let us live. You know. Uh, yeah. And I'm out again right after this podcast, and then the season is wrapped for sneaker shopping.
2: So. Okay.
1: Yeah, we're we're nearing our season finale as well. On a run. On a run, you guys.
3: You, on the other hand, not on a run. No air movie. Air Movie
0: Big Episode with uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Chris Tucker went live this week. Hope everyone's enjoying it. We have to say, please like, comment, subscribe. It was fun. It was just dudes being dudes, you know?
1: That's just a day at work for you?
0: It was a little hectic, but I enjoyed it.
1: I enjoyed it. A marquee episode. Yeah, it was a good one for the... Welty, have you seen the movie yet? No. Are you going to be there? Opening day?
3: Uh, I feel like I'm the only person in the sneaker space who
1: didn't get invited to a... You could have got invited... But I feel like... I didn't get invited. I had to ask. You had to ask? Okay. Closed mouths don't get fed. Are yeah. you going
0: to go... It's um, April 5th. Are you going to go at Thursday at midnight, April 4th? Like for Yeah, the I'm gonna wear,
1: and I'm going to wear a pair
3: of Air Jordan 1s. Well, oh, should we
0: cosplay? You're close. Because look at what you got on. Well, do you feel see, like, I
3: saw people doing that. Do you feel like that's a little too on the no. nose? No. What, wearing We're the Jordan 1s in the Air movie? Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. I wouldn't do it. I saw a few people do it and I was I didn't I didn't say anything but just like in my met- <laughs> he didn't
1: say anything until he got on his podcast. No, yeah, I didn't let him them on the lives. platform. kept, kept the
3: mental like ugh.
1: okay. But Aww. will you go see it? Will you pay money to see it?
3: I'm not a big movie guy but if the situation occurred then I would go see it. He got to have his notebook out inaccurate? No, I <laughs> you
1: know, Yeah, not that's not what done. we're here for for sure. I know. For sure. I'm, but I'm Ben said,
0: "Listen, it's not about who ben, said what." Ben who? Ben Affleck. Oh, Ben Affleck. Yeah, Affleck you're, sorry. It's not about who said what or when, you know. But Rotten Tomatoes, good score on it. All right. You didn't leave your review.
1: Not yet. Okay. (laughs) A lot of stuff is happening in the world of sneakers. Yes. we got a big guest, but we also got a lot of stuff to get through, a lot of stuff to talk about. I see the screen, like I always say. You see the white text
0: on his (laughs) little phone. You guys can't see it, but that means we're going to get into some stuff. What do we got?
1: Adidas, Clarks, Kith, Sambas. Good shoes. Great shoe. I think it's just that type of no-brainer. You know, it's simple, it's not overwrought. Slap the chunky crep saw on there and call it a day. And it feels very democratic the way they decided to open up the release and do a pre order, let everybody eat. Very very futuristic in that way. Surprising
3: to some, not the release, but just the the shoe's uh anticipation.
1: You didn't think it would be that big of a
3: shoe? Not not that I don't think it's a good shoe, it's yeah. just I, I'm still taken aback in by the samba movement. In some in some sense by it. Mm-hmm. Um Not to like be bitter or anything like that, but like wore a lot of those shoes for a long time, and then like got made fun of by people for a long time for wearing those sort of shoes, and then to all of a sudden see them be so popular, it's just I'm I'm like not perplexed, but I'm just like oh wow, like I'm just. Do you feel like you're owed influence royalty? Not at all. But the one thing (laughs) I the one thing I would like to see though, okay, is because now they're doing like high heat collaborations around those sort of shoes samba and those flat adidas yep um wales bonner kith uh sporting rich like all those ones seem to have a lot of momentum behind them that adidas i don't i I don't want to say adidas has figured out a formula because i feel like adidas hasn't figured out a lot of stuff lately (laughs) (laughs) but they know how to position the samba in a high heat situation Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of retailers and collaborators who had helped keep those shoes alive for a long time yeah it would be nice to maybe let them live Give them one of the Can shoes. Can you name who? Uh, give me an example. Just size. Oh. Our friend Gary Astin, Some something along that lines. Just giving them like a high heat moment with yeah. the brand would be cool
1: to see. Yeah. I mean, the moment makes a lot of sense to me in terms of the Kith Clarks one specifically too, because we've talked on here about how the hot the Samba has been in the past couple yes. of years. But I think yes. it's been missing that big key collaboration, which is kind of fun in a way that the shoe has been exciting, yep. not through some limited edition project, but just through the natural love for the silhouette and its most classic iteration. I think there's been some ones. Well, you mentioned Wells Bonner yeah. sticks out to me, but there hasn't been like a big, big... The human-made one is cool. I know you don't yeah. like the long tongue. I don't like the tongue. But uh, I, I feel like the Samba was overdue for this this type of moment, and I'm happy to see it.
0: And incorporating design cues from the wallaby. You know, the,
1: the, listen, like the Samba,
0: the Samba as it is is having a moment, but to put the soul on it, which is a little chunkier. And, soul. Yeah, which is like, you know, that's that's uh, also pretty a pretty risky for for such a classic and there's it's also
3: a huge uh, crossover between like the collectors of Adidas and also Clarks. So. Oh really? I didn't I didn't look yeah. at it that way. Yeah, so
1: it makes sense. I'd like to do a Wallaby one day. No, I a, could see a you collaboration. In Padmore and Barnes? Yeah, Padmore and Barnes. Maybe. Okay, I can so see that too. You want to know the history on that, or should I wait until we do the actual yeah, project? Put a
2: pin in that one. <laughs>
1: put a pin in that. We'll get
2: to the, our stuff today, and then we'll okay. revisit. You okay. Know, okay, somewhere, somewhere weeks, down maybe. the line.
1: What about Cortez 95? Oh, what about them? You popped out with a pair? The pink bubble? That's the best one, right? Yes.
0: Yes, but I really like the green one. I know that you got there was what? some like discussion about like how the black and pink...
3: That's a are J. Far better. That's like a JLP classic. The the black and the pink. Yeah. How many pairs, Joe? Well, you have multiples of those already? No. No, but how no. many pairs are you thinking? I know that's a, that's a more than one for you. Yeah, because I think I may beat,
0: I may beat um, both Pair, of them. Or yeah. like Saturday, it rained. I wore the green colorway, and I was like, I want to wear these out. Mm-hmm. I'm outside. I want to wear these out. If I beat them. I'll get another pair. So, to your point, maybe one more of each. I, maybe I,
3: I don't want you to feel like you know mm, you're you're uh, for com- compromising your <laughs> admiration or heart in this situation. But do you ever feel like there's any sort of uh, reality where the Cortez ninety five may replace the CDG ninety five for you? No, uh,
0: no, no. <laughs> thought
1: about it for a second. You've I love the CDG
0: ninety five. And the Cortez ninety five, both Cortez,
1: Cortez, whatever we're doing. Did good. I say it right? I, I'm pretty sure we're saying it right now. me You weren't
3: outside uptown, Joe. No, I was here. What do you I mean at, for the New York City? Pop. I was in Midtown. De-
2: yeah, it was yeah. uh, it was on 34th I, Street. Yeah,
0: we were we were shooting. Listen, I I love that moment. Javel They knocked it out of the park. I watched the Tinker sneakers live. I thought that was great. Yeah, they have a real thing going on and. It sounds like, you know, cliche, but like when you get your first Nike collab to me and you knock it out of the park, Mm -hmm. it's a moment that you got to remember. And then we're probably not going to see the last of them collaborate with Nike. And to me, two for two on these Air Max 95s. Air Max Ninety Fives having a great moment. Love those colorways. And I'm excited to see what they build on with this collaboration and this partnership. And... Come on, black and pink. Shades of black and pink? Yes. I'm all in. It's a, you guys got to get pairs.
3: No, it's a great shoe. It's a fine line, though, too, because you mentioned you knock your first Nike collab out of the park. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when that happens, Nike wants to give you like the keys to the car. Mm. And then we've seen... It's just like... I'm just curious to see what comes next because we've seen that go both ways. Also, okay.
0: I love that Clint said the 98 is his favorite, but he wanted to... It wasn't for him. It was for more so kind of like
1: an every man and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I might just have to go and grab a pair of these on goat or something on a resale you know what go I mean I'm, I'm ready for it and also I think no other platforms to mention <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that um I think that that moment of the super outside sneaker release mm-hmm. with everybody waiting on 34th street and then running downtown to the bodega that they took over I think that's such a cool moment we haven't seen a moment so like great. that kind of I think since COVID really popped off, I feel like those type of chaotic sneaker releases went away. And maybe this is hypocritical because we were just on here last week talking about Nike's North America product launch policy and how they want releases to be uh, more, you know, more confined or more orderly. And then they go and orchestrate this. Isn't that, I
3: mean, yeah, it it is. I'm not here to criticize Cortez at all because I think the shoes are awesome. I think it's awesome what they did. I just think it's kind of wild on Nike's half to, like, put out these hard and fast rules where you're going to punish retailers for not, like, investing $10,000 into a sneaker release yeah. to sell Nike's products. But then at the same time, when there's a high heat moment to build legacy and hype around the brand, you're like, hey, you know what? That doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> but also, I feel like Nike probably gave them the resources, you know, no, security, sure. et cetera, to make that an orderly release on some level. Also, I feel like this is the opposite of the tiffany air force one in terms of collaborations there well i put it out I, I mean i put it out there i said cortez 95 is better than tiffany air force ones agree there to me this feels so much more natural so much more organic and street level versus this kind of gilded gentrified oh, version of totally, collaborations. yeah totally tiffany different one totally is. Uh, that, this is, that this I is where we should be i love what this. about
0: we didn't even mention like because I think like it was just starting to bubble and now that the project has taken shape. But what about the crossbar challenge for the first colorway that was- How come you didn't pop out for that? London? Yeah, I feel like I, you- no, I didn't make the trip, but like even that was, that <laughs> yeah, rollout yeah, yeah. was fire. And what, I, what, what we were talking about is like, think of, you, you said it like since the pandemic, like this feels like the first real kind of like stunty release, mm-hmm. but like rollouts, it seems like they're like a dime a dozen now. This was different. Yeah, this is special.
1: Yeah. I liked it a lot. Should we talk about Jerry Lorenzo? Sure. Walter, you want to break this down? Uh, so, uh,
3: had spoken to one Jerry Lorenzo um, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I don't want to say rumors, but there was a pair of shoes going around the internet mm-hmm. in Adidas high yes. top that had the three-stripe pillar logo that Jerry has tattooed on the back of his neck mm-hmm. on... The toe box mm. that kind of resembled the Fear of God Nike one. And, and it said Fear God on the yes. heel. Yes. Yeah, it did say Fear of God on the heel. And blog started to run with it saying, here's the first look at the Fear yes. God sample. Yes. So I hit up Jerry and ask him. And he's like, I'm like, Jerry, is this the shoe? He's like, LOL, no. Um, so I'm trying to push him to get some sort of actual comment mm. to put on the site. And he said, these are not... Mm-hmm. The fear of God basketball shoes. The whole performance line will be launching next month at an event in Los Angeles mm-hmm. at the Hollywood Bowl. Yep, yeah. yeah, we'll be there. Some people took that the like the wrong way, saying that he says these aren't the basketball shoes. You know, he's lying to mm. us. Uh, these are really going to release as the lifestyle shoe, and it's. Mm. He had also told me, it was not something that he said so that we could publish at the time, mm-hmm. saying dude, these shoes are not coming out. If this is what I spent all these years creating with Adidas and this is what I'm gonna release, then you guys should just cancel me. (laughs) He said that to me and I was like, oh, I wish I could have published it. But then he also ended up saying the exact same thing on Lil Jupiter's (laughs) comment section. So all the sneaker blogs out there who thought we were lying or misleading you, you got it wrong. The shoes are not releasing. Don't pick apart the
1: quote and be like, oh, complex. It was a little vague. He's trying to cap for Jerry. It was a little vague. I mean, I assume that that is like an old sample because I don't think Adidas would make something that says "Fear God" on it without him knowing. But yes, that n- not a shoe that's coming out, and I'm glad because I think, as Jerry said in his comment to you when y- when y'all were chatting about this, that that's just not what we're looking for. Yeah, uh, you know, we we've spoken a lot on here about how delayed the product is yeah. and how it's been a, a long time mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. anything materializing. I'm happy to know that as of next month we'll have an idea of what it's going to look like, and who knows about a release date after that. But I'm excited. Yep.
0: And it seems like at that event or that fashion show, there's going to be multiple multiple, multiple. multiple models uh, revealed. Possibly.
1: Okay. Jerry also caused a bit of
3: stir on the internet via our own show. Yes. <laughs> yes. That went off. So it's funny because... That really went off. So last, last week, we talked about the comment section trying to rip me apart for <laughs> saying black cement over bread. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny is that for all the viewers out there, we... Um, a lot of the times we'll like go over like some of the topics we're going to talk about mm-hmm. on the show that's when i knew i wanted to talk about on the show but i didn't want to bring it up beforehand because i had a oh. feeling that one of you were gonna be like dude i don't want to talk about all right that. you like, little
0: sneak he kept it in his back so pocket. i kept, oh. kept it in the buddy lee back pocket jeans <laughs> I, 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 okay.
3: I kept it i kept it the back pocket to just <laughs> I, toss out there and to cause stir combo and i know killed it. brendan you put out there bread i don't care right yeah, basically. Yeah, but, but wait—you Je-
0: were validated.
3: Jerry made a comment saying, "Only OG- o- OGs don't use the word bread."
0: I didn't know that.
3: But it, I don't know—it it went off a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, everyone was aggregating it. Well, not really aggregating it, but they were posting that Jerry he commented on the post that we did, and yeah, quite a there was quite a reaction to that. I quite wouldn't think so. Yeah. yeah,
1: I stand by what I said originally. I have nothing more to add to it. Uh, so maybe
0: the next time. On an episode of Sneaker Shopping, I call them Black Cement Fours.
1: See see where it goes?
0: Yeah, we'll see. And then the next one after <laughs> that, maybe I go back to bread. I switch switch you know? back and
1: forth. Switching sides, yeah. Back and forth. Oh, man. What else is happening?
0: Uh, listen, this guy, I know oh, I keep this going is a Oh, this
1: is a big happening. Should we just get, get this out of the way? I did not get these this for This is him. huge. This I is a moment. Well, I talk about put, causing a stir. He even kept not the well tag on. Feet. My first time wearing it. If them, you're yet. listening, turn the video on
3: right Now, white cement Jordan threes, you get a pull up to the air screening in Jersey City. (laughs) What's that? Someone made a comment, obviously, doesn't reply to these, but if you can call the the black and red fours the bread fours, yeah, call fire red the Fred. (laughs) <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, i'm with it i'm with it that's We're actually better that right that <laughs> yeah, that's on. how you feeling though? um these are good uh shout out to my friend jonathan at preaches in south dakota he sent me wow. these shoes so did uh, you do a qc on them uh they the cement print is the same did you sniff them no mm. they're fake <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm doing i'm doing the reps <laughs> they're getting you in the StockX x lawsuit yeah <laughs> But yeah, um first time wearing them. Uh they felt a little narrow at first, but they're stretching out and not wealthy in Jordan 3s. It feels the, I think one of the weirdest parts about it is it feels weird uh, wearing a shoe above my ankle. Mm. <laughs> Stephen
0: A. Smith, you took his advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
3: doing uh I like I said,
0: travel day, I'm doing the C D G Sunder.
1: As per usual. should should I talk about my shoes too? I feel like usually we wait yeah. till the guest comes on, but Oh, oh. right. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, we'll, okay. We'll ask her when she gets here. I'm okay, doing cool. uh Reverse Curry, Dark Curry, there he is. 1999, Nike Dunk Low. For the 2000? Wanted wanted this one for a long time. Nice. Can I go down one more rabbit hole? Yep. Of course. Um, I know that very few people care about it at this point, but do you all remember when I was obsessed with figuring out how Ukrainian President Zelensky yes. got his sneakers? Yes. Yeah. The Jones. <laughs> Look at how little wealthy cares he carries. He takes a sip of the thing, like, buckle up.
0: Yeah, he said, I'm going to sit this this segment out.
1: <laughs> yes. I think we got to the bottom of it. Really? Yes.
0: Let's hear it. Well. And let's keep it under three minutes. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Doc. <laughs> just kidding. So
1: the answer is not that interesting. And when we were talking about this originally, a lot of people just hit me like, duh, he just got them from a reseller. Yeah. Which is kind of the answer. Okay. Uh-huh. I spoke to a couple people in Ukraine. One of them, this guy Glib, who says that he is in contact with somebody who works in the administration who's basically been like a client for him sourcing yeah. the shoes from him. This is Andre Yermak, who is a Ukrainian film producer, lawyer, and the head of the office of the president of Ukraine. And basically, this guy Glib got four different pairs for the president, some Air Force Ones, New Balance 990 V4, Air Max 96, a John pair. You know, it, it, He didn't realize at first that he was sourcing these shoes for Ukraine's president, but I think after the first couple pairs, he saw Zelensky pop up with the shoes on, and he was like, oh, wow, this is yeah. who these are for. And it's all like military and mm. camo stuff and mm-hmm. he's been trying to i guess uh solicit other pairs for for him to wear and they've kind of been like no he tried to get him in the patchwork camo jordan threes and he wasn't into it undefeated so jordan fours <laughs> yeah yeah let's let's get to let's go oh, wow jordan that'd jordan be perfect Forrest. so yeah again it, it's something i became obsessed with and i thought this week about publishing a story about it but the explanation is just not that interesting and I don't think that many people care about it at this point, but this is the type of thing I care about. So I'm just okay. happy to have arrived in an answer.
0: All right. Listen, you were chasing that. <laughs> you felt that you left our fans incomplete. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You completed the journey. Exactly. You completed exactly. The journey.
1: there's a lot more other details about how few pairs of the Jow new balances yeah. released in Ukraine and how scarce they were and some guy trying to buy a pair to resell but he couldn't flip it, but you asked me to keep it under three minutes, and I think. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was kidding. I think I've uh, held myself to that, so. I was kidding, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> we may just drop five thousand words on another the site <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. Might, <laughs> might.
0: He feels froggy. <laughs> he, 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 this guy feels froggy to my left. You're getting five thousand words, maybe. It's true.
3: One thought. <laughs> one thought I had thrown out into the universe mm-hmm. over the weekend that seemed to oh catch a little bit of steam. That I don't know. I want to hear your guys. Is this Wait. But yeah, it was a tweet. <laughs> come on. So I just, just honest, he this is the segment where we're talking he says, about here. <laughs> uh, hey, got co signed by Ronnie Feig. So, oh. uh, maybe it means something, but I know what it is. The uh, big, go ahead. So, Big Bubble Air Max 1's mm-hmm. released for Air Max Day mm-hmm. this year seems to be, I don't know, mixed reviews. Some people, divisive, like,
1: can we call it divisive? Yeah, mm. like
3: it, don't like it. But I think the best implementation of that technology or aesthetic would be. What if they put the big bubble on the Air Max ninety five? Bring the big body out? That's what you sure. want. Is, that what, is
1: How do you guys feel about that idea? I mean, I feel foolish even commenting because I was on this platform and others talking about how excited I was for the big bubble Air Max 1, how it was the only shoe that mattered to me. And then as it arrived, I couldn't bring myself to care. So I would feel like a fraud to say here that I'm super excited for a big bubble Air Max 95 because I can't promise that my excitement will hold. When they arrive. What if they do the Safety Orange Big Bubble 95? Sure. You see that thing honking. <laughs> he always mm. describes it as just the big honking bubble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a Big Bubble 95.
0: Yeah, sure. I don't feel as strongly enough to tweet about it, but sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when it when it comes out, if it comes out, will you buy a pair? Yes. I would love a new pair. I need, I need a new... What colorway? Neon just neon 95s 95s I, don't feel good as the problem oh I love them you I love, love how a 95 yes. feels wealthy we can agree that the 95 is not a it's the tongue shoelace. is funny I don't know how you deal with it Joe the
3: tongue like it the is laces, narrow
0: you know what, the tongue itches my foot to be honest I'm starting to think I don't know how to tie my shoelaces because the 95 shoelaces always come undone the Action Bronson shoelaces always come undone I think it might be me but no <laughs> I have no I, I walk a ton in the Air Max 95s Didn't make it to the treadmill, but they're fine for me,
3: yeah. The one colorway that I would like to see in it that they don't tend to usually do is the OG pool blue. Yes. 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 I'd like to see that. With a big bubble. So
1: if it ever comes out, we have it. Just dive right into it, right? record first. Yeah. Yeah. It's saying that it was your idea?
3: Yeah. Nike, you owe me a little bit of a royalty. Still waiting on the (laughs) Citizen. It ain't coming, is it?
0: (laughs) Ready?
1: Yeah, let's bring on our guest.
0: Our guest on today's podcast is an industry veteran who worked at Nike for 35 years. During her time at the brand, she was a major force in recruiting footwear designers, trend forecasting, and colorway iteration during multiple Nike golden eras. Known for not only her keen eye when it came to what and who was next, she also mentored some of the brand's notable execs throughout the years. You may have heard Astor Chambers and Bobito bring her up on this very podcast, but today we're excited to hear stories firsthand from our guest, Betsy Parker. Betsy, welcome. Thanks so much for stopping by. Talked to Aster, and he Aster was like, you have to you have to get Betsy on. So much history, so we're really happy you're here. So
4: this is his fault.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you saying you're not happy you're here, Betsy? <laughs> Loving it.
4: <Yeah. laughs> Loving it.
1: Can we talk about your shoes before we really get into your history? Sure. What do you got on feet?
4: I'm not sure. No, the Air, Air Max 97. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're being coy as if you don't, <laughs> as if you haven't been around this industry for decades.
4: Air Max 97. I'm a pretty monochromatic person, so I think they they fit sort of yeah. me, my personality
1: are Air Max 97s in your rotation a lot? Is there one Nike shoe that you kind of go to more than others?
4: No, I like I am literally just somebody that I have a lot of Jordans, I have a mm. lot of a lot of Air Force 1s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um maybe between these three and then I run, so I'm I'm a Pegasus girl all the way. Yeah. Nice.
3: You you said being monochromatic in, you know, in the whole late 80s early 90s Nike was really known for all the bright shoes. Yeah infrared 90s, Andre Agassi, all of that, was it tough for you to get into those shoes being such like color pops at the time? Or? No,
4: I, I, I typically monochromatic in my dress and then sometimes mm. we'll do the pop of color in sneakers. Mm. They had this down um, at the Nike downtown, They had the they had these artists come in and do splatters of paint that you could order the Air Max on. And so I have bright, bright, yeah, mm. I almost wore those today, bright, <laughs> bright, bright yellow. Like, so every once in a while I'll pop it out and people are like, what? Okay. But yeah, no, it's it's not a problem.
1: I feel like you must have some really rare sneakers tucked away. Is there is there a very sentimental pair that you can think of that's, that's particularly special to you?
4: I actually have a pair that I'm the only one that has it, mm-hmm. but it was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, when I retired, Mark Smith said, I was on the train, I'll never forget this. He goes, tell me three words. <laughs> and I said, this is what he does when he calls. Yeah. And I said, okay, joy. Gratitude, something else yeah. he literally made um, a slip on shoe that um, had graphics with tiny 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 graphics of those words all throughout the whole thing, and he made me a bag and he just went all and lasered one up and, it. Yeah. and typical Mark it wasn't Smith it was looked like laser, but it wasn't got
0: yeah. it got it. you said that he would come through the office and just start lasering like taking items and lasering them
4: when he he was in New York City for um uh, some meetings that were going on. It was a Jordan special mm-hmm. laser, the first one that was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about it. So he said, can I come to your office and sit there every, you know, in between meetings? And I said, sure. And we were walking to my office and he found this, a bust. So it was a, an old, a piece of an old, um, what do you call it? The... Like um, statue? The... No. When you put the clothes on... A mannequin. A mannequin. Sorry, okay. that's the word. Yay. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And he said, can I have that? And I said, yeah, you can have any of those. So he took the bust and he literally put it on my on my desk. And every time he had time, he took a marker and looked like he was lasering it. But mm. he made a design over the whole thing. Wow! And in the end, he gave it to me and said, this was for you. But he used it for the opening that they were doing with the Jordan. They had tattoo artists there and a whole yeah, bunch of yeah, other yeah. things. And... I had to sign a waiver for it. And then five years later, he called and said, hey, by the way, I have something coming your way. And I was like, what? And he goes, you'll see. And he sent it back to me. He said they found it and they forgot to send it back. So five years later, it's in my apartment. (laughs) It's on your mantle now? (laughs) It's beautiful. Yeah. The the
1: Mark Smith story you were just telling about um, him giving you the shoes as, as you were retiring, that's an important one. But I feel like we should take it back and kind of understand how you first got to Nike. Can you tell us about your arrival at the brand so many years ago? Sure.
4: I was the fashion coordinator for a, a piece of Fisher Commuta, which is a, they owned Gloria Vanderbilt Footwear, mm-hmm. Enzo Angelini Nine West, and it was where I grew up in Stanford. So I was there, and then I left. I moved to Sweden for a year, came back, and a headhunter called and said, would you consider an office manager position at Nike in New York City? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I don't think that's exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I you know, said, you can call me for anything. And I hung up and 30 seconds later I called back because in my mind that bubble said, I don't know anything about New York City. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about what it would be like to live there. I don't know anything about apparel. I don't know anything about sports footwear. Mm -hmm. So this is a good way for me to be around it. Mm -hmm. And so I went in, I interviewed, I got the job. And two weeks later Rob Strasser came in and said, he was at Nike at the time, not Adidas. he he's a big presence yeah and rolling thunder he he said he said hey you're new here and i was like yeah and he said where'd you come from and what did you do and i told him and he said well we didn't use the word fashion but mm. you're gonna do that for us wow and i'm like what i was in my job for two weeks and he said i want you to do trend research for nike design because we don't have anybody like that and in those days that's the way it worked it was like you, performance, Nobody right? knew anything. Nobody knew yeah. anything about anything. And if you know anything, little about anything, you get that job. You go figure it out.
0: And when he said we don't use that word, is it because it was like function, function, function? Total sports. Yeah. Yes. Fashion
1: was Absolutely. still the F word at night. Yes. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. So two weeks later, I was in the factories in Korea and Taiwan. That was in 1987. Two, you...
1: two weeks after you started?
4: Yes. Two weeks after I got, so it was a month later.
1: Yeah. How did they decide to bring you out to the factories? They
4: wanted me to, to, to do color for footwear. Mm. Um, and so I was the only one around that, that he thought could, um, could help out at that time because the designers weren't, the designers were, we were taking um, markers and doing color-ups on, you know, just sitting there. I remember with Wilson Smith, we were just coloring oh, wow. footwear. So it was crazy. Nobody was really into the color at that point, And then we started getting into multiple colors. So it was interesting. I mean, not a lot of women were over there at the time.
3: Yeah. Is there like a most memorable colorway or color from early on? You know, there's all the stories about Tinker making the Air Max one, the shoe being too bright and all of that. For me,
4: it was, the, there was um, the woman that was in charge of running. Um, she, it was we, it, She was a product line manager and she had called and she said I want you to help us with color. And I'm not this big color guru but I you know I like I liked fashion and so I said okay. And I think part of what happened with me is that I don't live in Portland I live in New York. Mm-mm. So I'm coming in and I'm not sitting in all those meetings. So she was doing a lot of air pegasus and they were all blue and like these yucky grays and stuff. And I said, why don't you do a clean one, white with like a blue on it, Mm -hmm. or white with a green, whatever. And she was like, we've never done that. Runners don't wear white shoes. Mm. And I said, I think you should do it. You should try it because it's gonna pop from every other company that doesn't do it. And she did it and it was their number one selling color.
0: That's awesome. And back in the day, there was a lot of restrictions, new ideas it was just like, we've never done that, we've never done that. So was that like difficult in the beginning or you like really enjoyed coming in and disrupting color schemes and things like that? Well, I
4: think part of it is that they could do it, they just hadn't done it, mm-hmm. so they think they can't do it. And in retrospect, the the creators of Nike, that's what happened, they, they felt like they could do it. So now they need to empower the people that ha- think they have all these rules, but they really don't. You can try new things. Yeah.
1: It's so interesting to think back then that that would have been a rule. Like we, I think we take it for granted living in this world of limited edition sneakers, where you've seen every single shade on every shoe, and sometimes in every combination. But the idea that there was a time when a white and a blue shoe would be bold,
4: crazy, yeah, crazy. And to me, it was just made sense. But I wasn't a super runner, and I wasn't in these meetings again. But so it, it just said like, do something different. Yeah, what's going to make you stand out?
0: When it comes to color scheme, is there any memories that you have of like? off-the-wall ideas where a color scheme came to you and you applied it to a shoe?
4: I, it was just, no, I didn't do all that many colors. Mm -hmm. That was just part of like, hey, Betsy's here, help her help you. Okay, And it was, it was just fun. Yeah, It was so much fun. We tried everything and half of them got thrown on the floor, (laughs) but it was just fun doing it. But the crazy part is that they didn't do it on the computer. We were doing it by hand.
1: Just a piece of paper.
4: I am a dinosaur, absolutely.
1: <laughs> we just going through like a
3: Pantone sort of like swatches and like no, you
4: out? just took the colors that were in the box and just played with them literally, and then you had to figure out. Like I was on a color committee one time, and we the hardest part of color is naming them. Mm. I
1: want that job so bad. It was I hope crazy. that someday I have that. That sounds like so much fun. It was
4: crazy, and so I'm um, with all of these designers sitting around a table, and we're naming them, and we're like, okay, this is kind of looks like lettuce, and this
2: hmm. kind of
4: looks like tomato. And then we, the reality of it is that you have the sales reps come back and say, "What is wrong with you? We can't go out and say this is a yeah, this is a lettuce, tomato, and onion." You know, <laughs> Where's <what>? the bacon? <laughs> what? It's, yeah. It, so we had to go back to the drawing board. I mean,
3: we were talking about it. Earlier when you came on, it's like this shoe. It's like cement gray, right? Yeah. Do Do you remember any of those moments where they came up with like that name and everyone's like, "That's it."
4: I again, I wasn't in color all that long. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I remember. I still laugh at some of the color names that they have. I do remember how how hard it is. So when you say cement gray, you get a picture in your in your mind that's cement gray. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do. It's uh, you can have that job because it's really hard. <laughs> Hire me. It's really so, uh, hard. Yeah. It's not. It's not e- as easy as you think.
1: What about that first factory trip? What was that like when you first stepped foot in that It was shoe crazy factory? because
4: I had worked for footwear before, mm-hmm. and I had never experienced being there. For me, the biggest aha moment was the that women weren't there. Mm. I mean, I walked into the factory, and people are, like, giggling at me, wow. and they stop Doing what they're doing because they had never seen. I'm tall. Mm-hmm. They had never seen a tall woman with blonde hair before, or it was just an oddity. Um, the women in the factories that had big jobs couldn't go out to lunch with us. I just, I for the first time, I'm really seeing like this isn't really right. Mm. It's not. It's not cool. Um, but it's amazing to finally see after all the things that you know about footwear to see how they're how it's made. It's not, you know, it's easy to draw yeah. for some, not me, but to to draw a piece of footwear, but to actually ha- know, understand how it's made, the capabilities of how you can do it. And really those factory important.
0: trips, was it like specific shoes that you remember being made right in front of you?
4: Well, the, I um I, and I wish I could remember what the mm-hmm. shoe was, mm-hmm. but the ones that we were talking about were, it was one shoe, say it was the Air Force one, but yeah. it wasn't. And they did literally yellow, green, blue, red. They did like seven bright colors. Yeah. And it was insane. But they had never done anything like that before. So, yeah. And then to watch it being made with all the little pieces, I'm like, this is insane.
0: How many factory trips did you make like after that? Did you keep going
2: back or that? I
4: went about three times. Okay. Yeah. Because at, at that time too, we, we didn't have a ton of factories. So you were taking the train it felt like you were in the you know, the jungles. So mm-hmm. It was it took like an hour and a half, two hours to get there by train. Oh. So it was crazy.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Rob Strasser yeah. meeting him back in the day. I, I have so many so many names yeah. that I would love to go through because there's all these Nike legends who you, you yeah. only hear about. I mean, was was Peter Moore in the mix? Did you did you meet I didn't with Peter know much? Peter. I yeah. knew
4: of him and I had seen him, but I had never, I didn't really know him, yeah. but Rob was definitely a force. I traveled with him a couple of times wow. and you would sit in meetings and he would always write on a yellow legal pad and like eat chocolates and throw the stuff on the floor. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is a force to be reckoned yeah. with. I'm and- just quiet and sitting in the corner
0: (laughs) obviously it's well documented but how like passionate and like around the clock was was he
4: he loved design Mm. and that's why he was so curious when i said what i did he was so curious about what does that mean what Mm -hmm. did you do what did that mean for your company and he was like well why aren't we having that here he really got involved in design quite a bit
1: do you remember meeting phil knight for the first time
4: yeah he's he's sort of evasive yeah um you know Nice to meet you and kept, yeah. He's yeah. I remember meeting Michael Jordan for the first time. Oh, what was that like He he was Mark Smith was uh, I think Mark Smith maybe and Tinker were were um working on something with him and it was a sales meeting and he was up in his room and Mark had called me up for to for something and he I think he knew that I would like to meet him. This is like late 90s or late 2000s. But changing his clothes. Late 90s. Okay. okay. What a presence. Yeah. But yeah, that's He's like, hi, how are you?
3: (laughs) Have you seen the air movie?
4: I don't. I'm actually seeing it on Wednesday.
3: Nice. Tomorrow. Are are you in your head? Are you like excited or are you going to be hypercritical? I'm excited,
4: but it's not a Nike movie. And that's what people need to remember. It's it's um, I think it's going to be cool. I've heard good things about it. Definitely. I don't I'm I'm just curious to see how accurate it is.
1: They didn't they didn't cast you, they didn't want your input or anything. Oh like that. Heck no. there's no Bessie character. No, I'm
4: in the background folks all <laughs> the time. Yeah.
1: There's that film and obviously Phil wrote Shoe
3: Dog. Is that like something that you were like super like anxious to read at the time? I read
4: Shoe Dog and it's super interesting, especially because I know a lot of the people that they were talking about mm. and I loved the idea about how this passion for something came into, you know, to be a multi-billion dollar company by taking risks all the time, so it was super cool. I, I really enjoyed the book. I actually have to, it's a little bit of a lie, I listened to the book, because mm. I, I can't read anymore. <laughs> I, ever since Audibles came out, it's yeah. pitiful.
0: And I want to talk about talking to Aster and about like the Brownstone and that oh, yeah. Nike office, and he kept like saying, 11 people work there, and it's such a difference from Portland to New York City. What was like those days, being in like the New York City chapter of Nike back in the day in in that Brownstone office?
4: It was so intimate. It was, we had Sam Siegel, Mm -hmm. who I'm sure you guys all know. Yeah, I talked to him the other day. He's pretty good. Um, That was a legend in itself, but there were probably about 12 people in there, some salespeople. I did trend research. I had an assistant that was helping me, Angela. Um, And it was, a lot of people coming through mm. because salespeople would come in and then they would d- pitch the Foot Locker. The whole, the whole teams would come in. It was a showroom. So there weren't a lot of offices. And the fourth floor was an apartment, literally had like four bedrooms. So people would come in and they would they would do what they need to do and then they would stay upstairs, mm-hmm. which was crazy to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you able to kind of operate independently from what was happening in Beaverton? Did that geographic distance help you achieve more kind of in a way?
4: It helped me a lot because I wasn't involved in the meetings. And we, because we were in New York, we got to travel a lot to Europe and yeah. Japan. That was when Mark Smith was um, first at Nike, he was doing graphics. And he ended up, he was amazing with the camera and he ended up being my um, videographer. So we traveled all over the world together. And he would put presentations in at the end, and they were unbelievable. So people really thought I was good. I wasn't good. I had really good help, (laughs) to be honest.
3: For being connected to Nike in New York City, I know you said you love Air Force Ones. Do you remember when Nike first did those NYC edition Air Force Ones? And what was your reaction to that? I
4: wanted stickers, I wanted the hat, I wanted Mm. everything. It was, I mean, you're proud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was so awesome. We did a lot of stuff around Nike NYC.
1: Yeah, the city attack. Yeah. Like when Wyden Kennedy came with yep. that whole campaign. Yeah. Were you super in tune with that stuff already? I mean, you worked in trend forecasting a little bit, and and we keep mentioning Astor Chambers, who was a guest in this podcast, who you kind of were there on a high school level seeing how people were reacting to Nike products. What was that journey like?
4: For me, it was uh, the when you can take the authenticity of what New York City brings mm-hmm and people outside of Portland, and I think that's one of the reasons why things worked in the with the trend research stuff or any of the focus groups and things that we had. I think it makes a difference. I think that's why they were so open to bringing somebody like Astor out to Portland so that they could teach or share all of the things that are really happening in basketball, really happening in streetwear. Um, Babito was a, a big success, too. He, uh, he was a little bit of getting used to because I'm... You know, I wasn't used to having somebody talk like he talked, and I loved it. I was like, and we immediately had a bond when i um, when I tell you that he was just super excited about everything having to do with sneakers and mm-hmm. sports and basketball, and he was awesome. And when I left Nike for two years in between trend research and um, recruiting, he we kept in touch. Do you remember those old Max postcards? They would have them in. I might be dating myself, yeah. but he, they would have them in clubs, and mm-hmm. they would just postcards. They were free,
2: mm-hmm. okay.
4: And he used to grab some of those and send me postcards. I still have some, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how funny it is. He still has some too. That we would write back and forth. We were just like handwriting stuff back and forth, just good solid, of the like of the New York City earth kind of. People, I loved it, and they were authentic to what I was working mm-hmm. for and wanting to share. So it was awesome.
0: And you were leaning on people like Bobito for like the oh. trend. And what do you remember him bringing to the table when you would solicit information and, and work with these these people who were around the city?
4: I think with him, it was more about everything revolved around basketball. Mm-hmm. And he also did. Um, he was he he was a he's a poet, and yeah. he did a lot with the New York New Eureka Poetry mm-hmm. Society. So I just thought he enveloped, enveloped um, everything that came into what was authentic. He, he was just amazing. And everyone in Portland that met him adored him but really liked what he had to say. He's got a little bit of character. So yeah, for sure, he was a help for a lot of things.
1: Didn't you help him get kind of his first Nike account at his store footwork? Is that right?
4: um maybe maybe they knew of him because of me I'm not sure but yeah yeah.
1: who else was in the mix around the era like I've talked to Stash and he's mentioned his friendship with you as well I feel like that was such a turning point where it feels to me like the first era late 90s early 2000s where Nike started to acknowledge and maybe you felt like this on a personal level but that this sneakerhead person existed or there exists this type of person that is obsessed with sneakers and collecting them.
4: I would have never assumed it in my in a million years mm. that somebody would be like that and now there's a whole culture. Like it wasn't it didn't really exist right off the bat when I was starting. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden a lot of companies came up and they were doing different things. And then when you start having like cross trainers and, and it starts to cross over into I don't think I can wear this for sport. I mm. think I wanna wear this for street. Mm-hmm. And then things became more casual. It everything just exploded. Yeah. So the stashes, the Bobitos, the Asters—they made a huge difference.
1: You mentioned cross trainers. We got to talk about Tinker Hatfield. Uh, yes. You told us a cross trainer story <laughs> before yeah. we got on the air. Can, can you tell us that one again?
4: Well, when you when you work in the sneaker industry, you you obviously the first thing you look at is not somebody's beautiful face. You look at their footwear, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just used to looking at the ground all mm-hmm. the time, and I remember. Being in Portland and seeing how Tinker was working on the first cross trainer ever, which was really cool. And it hadn't come out yet. And I was then going on to do the trend research stuff. I was in a tiny little bookstore in L.A., and I was walking down these really skinny aisles, and I was looking down at the ground, and all of a sudden I feel this guy coming towards me, But I'm looking at his footwear and it's the cross trainers. And I'm like, you know, immediately like, oh, my God, who has those? And we both are going up each other's body and I see it's (laughs) Tinker. We were on separate trips. So there's it was really interesting. And I was like, you're looking at my footwear. Yours are more interesting than mine. But it was it was a great time to because you're really pushing. They were really pushing things out. out. Um, I have a lot of stories about. Those guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: What are some of your other Tinker stories? Were you traveling the world with him back then?
4: You want to? You want me to say it? (laughs) Uh, You say whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, Um, (laughs) we we had a trip where we went to um, Germany for a show, and then we were going off to Paris. Mm -hmm. Um, I was doing trend research. He was, you know, doing his stuff, and we so we traveled together. And we both said asked if we had. known french and Mm. neither one of us knew french so he said okay we're going to play this game where you have you read the menu you cannot read the english menu only french and you order something and every single time without a doubt somehow some long baguette with the smelliest cheese you've ever Mm. had in your life (laughs) comes to me and he has this and i'm like are you sure you don't know french but the other piece of that was that he was having stomach issues and he said i think I need to have decaf coffee, mm. so he started saying decaf. And after three days of saying that, he still had stomach issues. I said, "Tinker, you're saying d. De- you're saying double coffee. First <laughs> oh. of all, they don't have decaf in Europe at that time. Oh, mm. he was asking for like a double coffee. Yeah,
0: just tinker so, tinker with the double espressos yeah. and then... Uh, throwing them the back.
2: Fence. Yeah, getting <laughs> his best ideas. Yeah,
4: <laughs> but. Um, yeah, there were many stories like that. There was this one I have to say, this one amazing story. When I was in um, Japan for the first time ever, mm. and I was traveling with Mark Smith, and he, it was really early, early morning. I'm an early riser, mm. so I went out and I found this um, Japanese graveyard. And it was absolutely beautiful because what they have by the graves are these big, huge popsicle sticks that they have calligraphy on. Mm -hmm. So visually, it was amazingly stimulating. And then um, I walked a little further and I looked over a hill and there was a full on baseball game. It was like seven in the morning Wow! with these 80 year old dudes all dressed up in in gear so I ran back to the hotel and I got Mark and I said get your camera we have some stuff so when we got back he wanted everyone to feel like um, we did everything was just visually Mm -hmm. overload we went to a robot store that's when robot stuff was first coming out Mm -hmm. and so he took movies we put the camera in the middle of the street and saw everybody's feet moving because it was the busiest street in Tokyo and we came back and he had six camera uh, six um, TVs and one of the loops of everything that we saw so you visually walked in there and felt like you had seen everything that we had seen it was stuff like that it's just presentations were different Mm -hmm. um thought process on what you can and can't do were different it was starting to be pushed and I feel like that was the time
0: you know you talked about like being in the schools and doing that trend research when did you think they were the brand was really starting to warm up to like, yes, this is a function first brand, but they are wearing these super techie at the time running shoes like in the streets.
4: Oh, I think in the early 90s. Yeah. M- maybe early to mid 90s for sure.
0: And it was like it was switching like the mentality a yes. little bit.
4: Yes. Because so many people were buying more sneakers. Mm-hmm. And so you can't. And, and they say, I think it is. And I'm not positive of the exact um, numbers now, but. At that time, seventy percent of the people were not using the shoes for what Mm -hmm. they were intended Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. So, if you think about that, it's like why wouldn't you push streetwear as well?
3: Yeah. What did you think when you first saw? You know, I guess it's commonplace nowadays, but the trend of people lining up for shoes and all these like riots happening were insane.
4: Yeah. I think it's insane. I think it's incredible for for um, the the industry. and I was listening to you guys early this morning where you say, are you going to get double of those pairs? Mm. I still think, it, Babito was the first one that ever said that. I, goes, I I use this one for my house, and I use this one to go outside in. I, I just, just think it's insane. I grew up with a really big family, so we didn't have the luxury of having, you know, all of this stuff. And the money that they pay for shoes is crazy, but but I get it. I completely understand it.
1: Betsy, you never doubled up on a pair?
4: I, I Yeah, I have. <laughs> well, what, what was it I need to know <laughs> no they were Air Force just because I like clean yeah, yeah. White on Whites Air Force yep
2: yeah
0: one wear on the White on Whites and then you replace them like uh,
3: no no, <laughs> no no I'm, I'm, not, not, that bad. Bad. I'm <laughs> not that bad yeah talking about Nike in New York City um, and sneaker lineups and all that sort of stuff do you remember the pigeon dunk in all of that going on was that anything that your office was involved in I remember the
4: name Mm -hmm. No, I'm kidding I remember it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, a lot of that was happening but a lot of that during that time I was traveling a ton because we then started going to schools Mm -hmm. to see students that were coming out of um, London a lot um, to see students that were coming out of schools to to um, possibly get as interns and then hire them on so yeah I remember those for sure
1: But you weren't at the lineup. No. I wasn't. I don't think I've ever been in a lineup. Did you ever come close? You ever saw a line and you just thought... I feel like that's the ultimate form of of the the research you're talking about, where you're not even in a focus group. You're right there on the street. No, this is what
4: I do. I walk by and I was like, what are you guys waiting for?
1: You you play coy. Yeah. Yeah. No. I never did. I heard Tinker say once in an interview that he doesn't like the focus groups because he feels like it's like a kind of a state environment or something that you can't get the, the true responses out of. He
4: has said that so many times. I think he th- he felt like it was, we're bringing something new, so how can they judge it yet because it's fresh and they're just, he goes, because there's other people that would buy the, the Jordan no matter what color it was, mm-hmm. even if they didn't like it, yeah. right? So he said, we're bringing out, we're trying to bring out something new. You don't always get their real reaction to it. Um, some things you have to grow into. Yeah.
1: yeah. We've talked about Tinker. We've talked about Mark Smith, all these names that feel so gigantic to me in the space. Are there people that you think of when you reflect back on your long career at Nike that are unsung or not as celebrated that we should know about that contributed a lot, whether it's Nike New York or Nike in general?
4: I do think that... I know that um, he's not a s- designer, but I, Sam Siegel, who yeah. honestly was is an incredible human.
1: Can you explain who sam is for people listening because sam is not a name that i think a lot of people know but yeah you know we know he's he's so important
4: sam siegel is um he's retired now he's probably i think he's in his 70s or early 80s um but he was he was he always said betsy i'm just a peddler he was in he was in charge of nike sales for this coast before they brought sales in-house. So he's making a lot of money. Um, You didn't have to know a lot about Nike to be able to sell it because it would just sold itself at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they brought him in-house and he was always the figure. He was the older guy in the office who he's he just yelled at people. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. And anybody that I know till this day that was under him and got yelled at and and you know, scolded, um, that went through years with him and completely has respect for him because he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. He there, absolutely knew what he was talking there about. There would have
1: been a whole Twitter expose about Sam Siegel and the Nike office. Yeah. These days. <laughs> these, they still have a giant uh, photo of him, I think, in the latest version of the New York office. I think there's a gigantic portrait of him in one of the meeting rooms. Oh, is there?
4: Yeah. I don't know.
1: Any, any other names come to mind?
4: No, I have new ones because I'm just watching the... I'm waiting for yeah. these new people who's, to come Who's up. the next generation so that we need to be aware of? there's this... This is such a great story. Mm. This There's this kid that I found on Instagram. And this is the new way of doing recruiting, mm. right? It's very different. And he... I didn't know where he lived, didn't know how old he was, didn't know anything about him other than I watched him create beautiful apparel, right? And he would post it and he would post himself sewing it and he would and it was really cool it was very different still casual and so I sent a message on Instagram and it turns out that he lives in Switzerland Mm. and he works in a bank and he loves design and he ended up fast forward he ended up teaching himself hey he bought himself a sewing machine taught himself how to do patterns and in the end, I got. I finally got in touch with him because he said, "How do I know who you're who you are?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. "Okay, what do I do?" And that, that was the whole story in itself. And so I got in touch with him, and he is—he is, um, is now—he's he, a dual citizen. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Ple, "Please be half of that." B U S and it was. <laughs> wow. And he's now um, a designer one in Catalysts, doing all the apparel or helping out with the apparel for Nocta. Oh wow. Oh awesome. So what's his name? Malik Miller. Okay. I mean, the nicest kid ever. He finally came to New York for the first time in his life and we had breakfast and he said I said, Can I ask you a question? Because I can ask you now. I don't work for Nike. Mm -hmm. How old are you? And he said, twenty-three. Wow. Never went to fashion school. But this is what I love. This is the new that you can do if somebody has passion and that I found somebody like him has more passion than somebody that went through school knows what they want to do and it's blah blah blah. when you have passion and you don't have the means to or the time or whatever to go through in a normal way it's amazing and they love him his mother sent me a note and said thank you so much you've changed his life that it's awesome
0: coming from an apparel background how do you feel about brands like Nocta or Cactus Plant Flea Market collaborating with Nike, you know, Cactus Plant really colorful pieces. What do you think about those high energy brands collaborating on apparel with Nike? Uh,
4: You know, people say that collabs are just like, there's too many of them and such. I I love it. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. I think when you're open to new things and new ways of doing things and you don't have somebody that's constantly, it's like when I would come out to Portland and you, you see something that might be obvious, but it's because you're not in the meetings all the time. When you have somebody collaborating on things, I think it's it's amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Once in a while, dip in, dip out.
3: Do you have the sneakers app on your phone?
4: I do. Yeah?
3: Yes. Do you, do you play in the game or no? I don't. No?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I love hearing stuff from you guys. Yeah. I love hearing stuff from my friends. Yeah. I'm retired.
1: <laughs> but you can't retire from the world of sneakers. No.
4: I love, I love. I, if they called me tomorrow and said, you want to? do a little contract I would yeah
1: for sure Mm. back on kind of the recruiting stuff you were talking about I think this is valuable information just for people out there who are listening Mm -hmm. because you know they want to work at Nike or they want to work at Adidas and they want to figure out Mm -hmm. how to how to make this their career do you have any any tips or any pieces of guidance you can give to those people who are trying to figure out how to work at Nike
4: have a focus yeah you know I have so many people that come to me and say and they're pretty decent designers and they say I'll do anything to get in and I said, that's super cool that you said that to me. Don't ever say that again. And mm. here's why. Mm. It's because when a hiring manager has an opening, finally, they go through all this process, they finally get approved and they can do it. They want somebody that basically was born to do the job they're looking for. They want to focus. Mm-hmm. And so I always say focus. I went to I went to a school here in New York to look at students and they were, they were newly t- being taught footwear design. And... I went in to look for apparel, and they were doing footwear, and they had it in their portfolio. And I said, what do you want to do? And they said, footwear. And it's a misconception that you can do footwear just by sketching something. You really have to know how to build it. So I said, it could be great for you to take an architect class or something, because 90% of the footwear designers that we've hired in the past, anyway, have been either industrial designers or architects. Tinker. Yeah. Yeah. So... To know, like, to go deep into something is really cool. Did
3: did you see a big shift in in the world? Because I I think about that sometimes where, you you know, you get a lot of people nowadays who grow up as sneakerheads. They want to become specifically a footwear designer. But the whole previous generation who designed shoes, like you mentioned, They didn't set out to be shoe designers. They just set out to be designers and then ended up designing sneakers in the process. Do you see like a difference between those
2: two worlds? I think
4: think there's more stylists now. And I think that's the difference. They're not really designers. They're stylists. So they understand design. And they, maybe not the in-depth process of how to build it, but they know something that looks pretty. That's the difference, more of the difference that I see. Hmm. And I would say that 80% of the footwear designers... That started out as industrial designers have cars in their portfolios. Mm. That that's the way they were going, and then they realized that they can do footwear also. So it's interesting to see. Yeah,
0: obviously we had Aster on a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people that I've talked to have said you were such a big mentor to them. But do you remember when Aster was getting the shout out in the fabulous rap lyrics, and like when he was dealing with like the hip hop boom of New York City, and what that was like to be kind of like near him.
4: He's humble mm-hmm. and he's um very family based and but he's also really good at what he does mm. and he is one of the most incredible presenters I've ever seen. So it felt good. You can tell when you talk to yes. him. He, it he, he, felt I I good. feel like
1: I could follow this guy into yeah. battle. Yeah.
4: He's genuine. I yeah. mean every he'll just check in every once in a while. Mm-hmm. He's genuine. He's as good as they come.
1: Yeah. Betsy, obviously we're here to talk about your career, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that your brother, Mark Parker, was at Nike for a long time and ascended to the level of CEO. I, I know that's a private relationship for you, but can you talk about maybe just your reaction when he got to that top level of the brand, you know, or just what your relationship has been throughout the years?
4: Yeah, that was, I mean, I, I didn't know it was going to happen. He is about as private as they come. and. Mm-hmm. um and I totally understand that we have a, an amazing relationship. My whole family is—I have five brothers and mm-hmm. a sister—very close. Um, but this is sort of what happened. Um, my younger brother Stephen was over in Southeast Asia, and he was getting his masters um, at Wharton on the side. He was working for Nike, and he was—he um, went Saturdays and got his masters in business, and—and. And, That was a big deal. It was the same week that he graduated that Mark, that happened with Mark, and my father wrote a note to the whole family saying congratulations to Mark, congratulations to Steve. I'm equally as as proud of each and every one of you. It was, I mean, it was fabulous, right? But it was just status quo for our family because it was – We all love each other. Nobody's better than anybody else. But I'm so proud of him. Yeah. So proud of him. You
1: kind of accidentally became a footwear family. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I
4: know. It's weird. But he is just as genuine as you might think. Mm. He's just as kind as you might think. He's just a curious human being. Yeah. Really curious.
3: A little bit of a a personal interest. So grew up in New Hampshire, right? And I know Mark was at Exeter early on back in the day when they had the research and development lab there i went to exeter high school so it's like in my head yeah do you did you ever travel up there and see nike in exeter no
4: No. i was young no i'm kidding yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i was off doing fashion footwear yeah so yeah he was he was just in exeter with his wife
1: it's so interesting to think of you just existing in new york because again like thinking about our respective childhoods to me nike is such an oregon company so i wonder too like was it was it weird for you that first time you went to headquarters in Beaverton in Oregon? And did it feel so different from what y'all? Well, were doing? it
4: wasn't. It was in Nimbus. It wasn't in the big place you okay, see okay. now. Mm-hmm. So it was very different. I had to walk across the street. Footwear was here. I had to walk down the street, literally, to another building to to see footwear. Um, and that was when they they had the shoe boxes for offices. So it mm-hmm. was a really different time. I I just remember the first time I ever flew into Portland, how green it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming from Connecticut and New York, and it's not that green.
0: <laughs> the thing that I always heard, if you want to ascend yep. in Nike, you are going to have to live and move to Portland, and for you to do it in New York, like that must be really special.
4: It was special. It was also, you know, I could have had bigger jobs, mm. um, but I chose not to go there because I really felt like for for trends, it made so much sense for me to be here. Mm. Um, and then, for recruiting, there was so many more companies here, and there were it's such easy access to Europe that it didn't make sense for for me to be anywhere else. so I never really thought about it other than it makes sense um but they had asked a couple of different times to do things in Portland and 'm like i because yeah. I, I felt like it was there's so many people, yeah, and I felt like i was i was personally I was more um precious to them being here and doing what i'm doing as opposed to to being in the mix of things yeah it just made sense we have to
1: talk about one other story because okay. you, you, <laughs> sh- you shared this with us and i hope you don't mind but you have a special jacket with you here today yes
4: oh yeah i do
1: what's the jacket about so
4: after 25 years at nike um everybody gets a um a jacket and they ask a, a couple of questions so they put the year, this is really dating myself. <laughs> they put the year inside with a note from Phil, and mine, so pe- everyone in my family calls me Bets, and okay. then 1987 is when I started. I know it's probably older than you guys are. No. Um, and then a note from <laughs> Phil, yeah, no. and he signs it, so.
0: The note is like bespoke to everyone?
4: I'll read it to you, okay, I haven't awesome. read it in a long time. Awesome. The highs, the lows, the hits, the misses, and the occasional food fight—the past 25 years have been an incredible ride. We could not have done it better without you. Thank you, Phil Knight. Wow, I love that. That's awesome. I love that.
0: So you have the you have the Mark Smith lasered mannequin. You have that jacket. Any other like specialty items? Like uh, I'm sure there's a lot.
4: You know, it wasn't there. They weren't from me. Like yeah. my best friend Grace has like this crazy attachment to Air Force Ones. Okay. And she, for her 50th birthday, she said, do you know the guy who created them? And I was like, yeah, Bruce Kilgore. She (laughs) goes, okay. So I was like, I'm going to call Bruce and ask him to, like, just send her a birthday card. Mm -hmm. He sent me to give to her a birthday card, but he sketched out an Air Force One, blah, blah, blah. So she has it framed in her Mm -hmm. room. So there's a lot of stuff like that. That's awesome. That it wasn't for me, but it was like, that means the world to her. So
1: you're the conduit for these. Yeah. Yes.
4: Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I like connecting people. I like making people happy. I like changing people's lives. It's sort of try to do it. Not today, but in the background. Sure. So, well, I'm glad we brought you to the foreground. Thank
3: you. uh, Just, I guess, maybe one last uh, current topic to touch on. You know, you mentioned Air Force Ones. What was your reaction seeing Nike actually doing a Tiffany Air Force One?
4: Oh, that's a tough one because I wasn't really a fan.
1: I'm glad to hear that.
4: I, I, of the color, well, first of all, I yeah, I, I should just. I love well, Nike. They, they, they aren't <laughs> a fan. They were not a
1: fan. I wear. It's a lot been a of divisive like shoe for us. Black,
0: so I like it. These the two don't was nice. look at really how excited the they Betsy. Yeah. Look at how excited he is now that you <laughs> we're said gonna, that.
1: We're going to use this as as a rationale <laughs> and our end of the year list when people are trying to argue how, how great the shoe is. We're going to say, did you know Betsy Parker does? No, like do Air you know Force what one? I
4: would have I would have actually purchased it. If it was white, blue. There we Ooh. go.
0: Okay. There we go. All right. Listen, so happy you did this. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. so much for giving us your time. Such a great, great career, and we can't thank you enough. This was awesome.
4: Thank you, you guys. Thank we appreciate you. it. Super nice.
0: All right, everyone. This has been the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We hope everyone has a great weekend. Please like, subscribe. We will see you next week. Our producer is David Matthews. Our associate producer is Jillian Hardman-Webb. Audio editing done by Haley Choi. Special thanks to Jen Stewart, Shiva Bayet, and Haley Choi. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.